in this first session on Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, we're going to focus on the meaning of redemption. In him, that is, in Christ, in the beloved, which was just referred to in verse 6, in the beloved, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Father, as we focus on this glorious, beautiful, freeing, life-giving word, redemption. Make it as big as it really is in our hearts, the way it is in reality, I pray. Open our eyes to it and make us respond the way Paul did when he said, to the praise of the glory of the grace which is in the beloved in whom we have this redemption. Grant us that experience, Lord, the praise of the glory of the grace which is the root and ground of our redemption. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's obvious from what I just prayed, perhaps, that in this preceding section, it came to a crescendo with everything is for the praise of the glory of the grace of God. So the roots and ground of that praise go back into eternity before the foundation of the world. He chose us, and back there he predestined us, chosen for holiness, chosen for blamelessness, predestined for adoption as sons, all of it based in God's ultimate sovereign will, not in us, so that in the end praise would rise for the glory, the beauty, the moral beauty of God's grace. So that's the ground of this crescendo. Now what he's doing in verse 7 is backing up again, not to repeat the crescendo yet, he's going to do that later in verses 12 and 14, but rather to give more foundation for it, more basis. And he's going to take us for the basis of the crescendo of of praising grace, not back into eternity, but back into history, namely to the work of Christ, to the, the blood shedding of Jesus Christ on Calvary. That's where he's going to show the riches, the glory of grace, so that we would, in fact, join him and everyone else in the praise of the glory of the grace of God. Who is this? In him, we have redemption. It's the same we that we've been focusing on all along. He blessed us in Christ Jesus. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption as sons. He blessed us in the beloved. This is not unbelievers. This is not everybody in the world. These are people predestined for adoption. These are believers who are now children of God, chosen in Christ Jesus, blessed in the beloved. That's who the we is here. So don't, don't read we 
as everybody in the world. The way the unbelievers of the world, as we do missions and world evangelization, relate to redemption is that we offer it to them. And oh, what a free offer it is. Come, come to the waters. Come, drink without money and without price. This redemption is available, but you don't have it yet. You don't have it yet. We, the believers who have been chosen, have it. We don't know if you're chosen. Oh, come. If you will have this redemption, it will be yours. So this we here is a very precious we who are believers. Now, what's the basic statement in this passage? The basic statement is, we have redemption. And then it's modified with three prepositional phrases. In Him, we have redemption. Through His blood, we have redemption. According to the riches of His grace, we have redemption. So one, two, Three prepositional phrases. This is the way Paul writes all through this book, and especially in this first long sentence. He piles up prepositional phrase on prepositional phrase to define and unpack and enrich and deepen our understanding of basic statements like, we have redemption. So next next time we're going to talk about, well, how do we have redemption? How does this work? It works in him. How does it work? It works through blood. How does it work? It works according to grace. But right now, what I want to get is, what is it? And if you look up this word redemption in any biblical dictionary, it will give you words like, uh, redemption means release um, by payment. Or another one I looked at said, freed by ransom. So that's the basic idea. Freedom from whatever is holding you bondage or captive or ruining your life, released from it, freed from it, and it took a payment to do it. That's what's in this word, redemption. We have released by payment. We have freedom by ransom. And we'll talk how that works next time. It's just so tremendously important that we understand how it works, how God did it, because the Bible is so full of attempts to help us understand. We're not probing in where we shouldn't go when we ask, how does that work, God? Because he labors to tell us in the Bible how it works. He wants us to understand. So all we're doing now is getting at redemption. What? What does it mean? So let's ask, from what? So if, it, if it's release, if it's freedom, from what? And there are three answers in the New Testament. And the first one is right here, right? Right there. Forgiveness for our trespasses. And since trespasses and forgiveness are, are together here, and forgiveness implies not yet that we are uh, empowered not to trespass, that comes later, but here, forgiven for trespasses that we've done. So this means guilt is in view, right? You don't need forgiveness if you don't have any guilt. So when it says forgiveness, it is 
forgiveness for the guilt incurred by sinning, by trespasses. So let's put number one, when we ask this, ask this question from, one, from guilt of sins. So we are, we are released by this redemption here from guilt. We can see that here in Hebrews 9.15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death, a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So redeeming from transgressions is what we see here. The redemption, namely the forgiveness and thus liberation from our trespasses. That's the first thing. What's the second meaning of it? It comes when we just drop down from verse 11 to verses, um, let's go to 13 and 14. Same sentence. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And then you get this English translation, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Literally, it is unto the redemption, exact same word as in verse 7, unto the redemption of the possession. It's a little awkward. That's why the English tries to smooth it out. So literally, it is a guarantee of our inheritance. And that guarantee, that work of the Spirit to seal us and guarantee it is, is guaranteed unto a goal. And the goal is the redemption of his possession. God purchased us by the blood of Christ. We are his possession and we will be redeemed. So here is a future Redemption, not present. So it's not just the present forgiveness of sins. It is the future completion of that redemption in the removal, let's say the release or freedom from everything that is defective in us. You see this again in chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there's a, a future day coming called the day of redemption. Same thing that Jesus said in Luke 21, 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. It's not here yet. So you see, there are these stages of redemption. Right here is forgiveness of sins. As soon as you believe, we are redeemed, we are released, we are freed by payment from our sins. And now we're talking about this end point where God frees us from everything that is defective in us, maybe most clearly here in Romans 8.23. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, that is the fullness of our adoption, namely the fullness of our redemption, namely the redemption of our bodies. So future release from everything that makes the body miserable, all cancer, all depression, all disease, all aging, all arthritis, 
freed by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's coming. So our our second thing here would be all future defects, body, and soul. So this redemption here, we have redemption through his blood, is immediately effective in the forgiveness of sins. It will someday have its perfect consummation in a final redemption of our bodies and the removal of all defects morally, spiritually, psychologically, physically. There is one more thing I want to point out, and that is in 1 Peter 1.18, it says, you were ransomed. Now, this is a form of the word redemption, not exactly the same word, but I want to draw it out because in between forgiveness and final redemption, there is another step. We're living in it right now, we Christians. You were ransomed from the futile ways. This is a way of life. Futility of your way of life. You were ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So the third answer to the question, what are we ransomed or redeemed from? And the answer is futile, sinful way of life. So you see the stages. I didn't put them in the right order here. We got one, two, three, <laughs> right? So immediate effectiveness of the ransom in the removal of guilt, that is the forgiveness of our trespasses. Eventual final deliverance from all future defects, body and soul, because of the ransom through the blood of Christ. And then on the way there, the futility of our way of life that it was inherited from sinning forefathers is overcome also by this. So next time we tackle, how does that work? How does it work that guilt is removed and the future is secured and our way of life is transformed by this redemption?